good reminder. We started the Gospel of Mark one year ago. I don't know if it was to the day, but I was looking through this week, and this will be study number 44 that I've done. So, little quick math, 52 weeks in the year. So about a year ago, we started, started going through the Gospel of Mark. We went through with a single goal in mind. I had a, I had a single goal. And that single goal is reflected in what we titled the series of the teaching, which we are going through the Gospel of Mark, but I just really felt like as we looked at the Gospel of Mark, we we needed to see one thing. We needed to see the face of God. That when we look into the eyes of Jesus, we don't just see a teacher, a prophet, a good person who did some good stuff and said some cool things, but we looked into God, him, God's eyes, um, God in human flesh. Jesus is the face that God has revealed. I always think that, what does God look like? Jesus is what God looks like. When you see Jesus, you see God. As we bring it to an end today, the study of Mark, the the title of our message is this, the moral of the story. The moral of the story. Or you could say what it all boils down to. I was thinking about some of my favorite movies. And there's a, you know, you get done, and why is it that something causes you to think introspectively? Why is it that you root for you know, the good guy. Why is it that we, these things, what is the moral of that story? What's really being said at the heart of it all? What does it all boil down to? And as we look at this text today, um, we're going to look at what it all boils down to. I asked Melinda just now when, when we got done singing and praying, I said, who picked the songs for this week? She goes, I did. And I was like, you might as well have preached my message Uh, in song form, which tells me a couple of things. Number one, it tells me that the Holy Spirit has some things that we need to hear and and that all the work and effort and labor I put into this message this week, wondering, Lord, will this land, will is this, you know, it's, we're right on track. And um, it's a great encouragement. So in Mark chapter 15, we're actually going to go 15 through almost, the uh, Mark 15, um, verse 37, you can put your finger there. The moral of the story of the book of Mark is this. It's what we call the gospel. The gospel, the good news. What is the gospel? What is the good news? Let me just tell you, there was a man with a message. When you read through Mark, there was a man with a message. It was Jesus his message, was, his message was his words that he spoke, but we know that his message was also the life that he lived. We know the gospel message is that Jesus is our Savior. We'll talk about that. He is also our friend, and he is also our King. And Mark 
focus, focuses more on what Jesus did than what Jesus said. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, you kind of get like this pivotal theme verse for the whole book of Mark. It's all kind of wrapped around this idea. And the idea in 1045 is Jesus said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, so action, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as Mark talks about the things that Jesus did, the people that he encountered, the things that he taught, it was all wrapped around this idea that Jesus came to serve. He had a message. It was his life. Last week we talked about that Jesus was abandoned by everyone so we would never have to be. Sorry, my notes messed up. And as we bring the book to conclusion this week, this is what we're going to look at. The Holy Spirit boils all of this down into what we call the gospel or the good news. But I think that that can be a, can be a confusing term for people. Especially if you watch the Nacho Libre, um, which is biblically accurate on so many levels. But there's just this part like, why are you late? I saw some people downtown and I was sharing the gospel with them. We always hear like the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. We kind of just like, well, what is it? It's sort of like, is it in your pocket? Is it something that you're like, hey, I need to share something with you? Is it like a one-dimensional conversation that you have with someone? Jesus treated every person he met absolutely different and absolutely the same at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? He saw each person in their unique circumstances. The woman at the well, the blind beggar, the demon-possessed man living in the tombs. Each person, and we talked about how he deals with people, and he saw them as individuals, and yet he saw us collectively as a whole as humanity and mankind. And he shared what we would call the gospel. It's his message the words he says, and also the life he gave. This is what people are talking about when they say share the gospel. So what we want to do today, we want to take one last look as, we, as Mark closes up the book, and he does it very intentionally, at the one who was asking us to look into the face of God. So here's what we're going to do. It's four things. We want to see Jesus this morning hanging on your cross, buried in your grave, resurrected on your behalf, and walking your road. Hanging on your cross, buried in your grave, resurrected on your behalf, and walking your road. You'll see what I'm talking about. Let's look at this first one. See him on your cross. Verse 37, where you had your finger and you were holding your spot. The place where Jesus, we talked about last week, was the most abandoned, the cross, where all people turned away from him, even his father turned his face away. And then starting in verse 37, it says, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. He died. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The place that separated the holy place of God from the place where man could be. The veil was torn from top to bottom. 
And when the centurion who stood facing him at the cross saw that he had breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Now other gospel accounts tell us that other stuff happened. There was an earthquake. Dead people rose from the grave. Supernatural things happened. A curtain was torn from top to bottom. How was that supernatural? Well, the curtain was six inches thick, 60 feet tall, and it was torn from top to bottom. God split the veil. It wasn't, it wasn't a bunch of guys got together with some humongous scissors and started hacking at the thing from the bottom. We don't need this anymore. As God said, this veil is no longer necessary. Supernatural things were taking place. And this centurion, who was the Navy SEAL of the day, the most thorough in death and warfare and torture and punishment, who represented a domineering world empire system, saw that Jesus was dead and all this stuff had happened. It changed him. He said, this man truly is the son of God. Verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of uh, Joseph and Salome. Now, Mark was written with a Roman emphasis. It's important to know that. Each of the gospel accounts was written with certain things in mind as the writer was writing it. Mark's was written to people living in a Roman empire, not with a Jewish background. That's why it's so action-packed, and that's why it leaves out a lot of the Old Testament stuff that Matthew talks about, because Matthew's gospel is really focused on people who grew up Jewish, and that is their story, and he's trying to tie in. The one they've been waiting for is Jesus. Mark is written to uh, Gentiles, uh, people outside of the Jewish faith, so he doesn't talk a lot of that stuff. This, with a Roman emphasis, and this centurion, let me tell you, had seen many people crucified. This was not his first rodeo. Uh, Crucifixion was the Roman penalty for those convicted of the most horrible crimes. People were crucified naked and publicly, often at crossroads. So people would see them when they walked by. It was sort of like a trophy. You mess with the bull, this is what happens to you. Don't defy Rome, it would say. This is what it looks like when you do. It was the most excruciating, the most humiliating death you could die. It took days and days sometimes for people to die. Eventually they would die from exhaustion or suffocation. It wasn't from the nails in their hands or the, the beating that they took beforehand. It's that they would end up drowning because their lungs would fill up with fluid. It was meant to be a torture, a sign. They were experts at what they did. The most humiliating and most visible death one could die were the only sinless person who ever lived. This is the death by which he was given. The only sinless person who ever lived was hung between two criminals deserving of their fate. This is the place where Jesus was abandoned by all. 
You know, there's a time in everyone's life where you actually have to really think about Jesus on the cross. He talked about it a lot. It was talked about a lot in the Old Testament. There is something about this person in this place that we have to think about. There is no way around the cross. There's no way to have a relationship with Jesus by going around the cross. Jesus says, I will draw all people to myself when I'm on the cross. He says, when I am raised up, that is where I will draw all people, all people to myself. It was not on accident. It was foretold that it would be this way. And the gospel is not complete without a proper understanding of what took place on the cross. Jesus said, we must understand. It is the place where sin was defeated, not just the place where Jesus died. When Jesus said, it is finished, he wasn't like, my time here is done. He said, the the rule and reign of brokenness and sin in this world is done. There is now a new way to be. Based on his death, not yours. It is the place where Jesus defeated sin. It's also the place when we see Jesus on the cross that we understand that there is such thing as sin and separation. That's what's hard. Some people, as we share the God, as you think about your life, I don't have to tell you that you're a sinner. You know. You already know there's something amiss in your heart. But when we we look at Jesus on the cross, Jesus said when he was abandoned, Father, is there any other way for sin and death to be dealt with? If there is, let's go that route. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And then he went through because there's no other way. Because when we see Jesus on the cross, we become like that criminal to his to his side. It doesn't talk about it in Mark, but in uh, one of the other ones, it says they were also making fun of him. Everyone was making fun of him. Oh, you're God. Save yourself. They were, they were spitting at him. And they were um, throwing stuff at him. And they were talking smack to the creator of the universe. And one of the criminals, and then the criminals start chiming in they're dying and one of them goes dude we deserve what we're getting this man has done nothing and then he turns because he couldn't get around Jesus on the cross and he says this Lord when you come into your kingdom will you remember me he knew what was going on Jesus wasn't hanging him in there and going repent or perish he was saying it is finished I love you and this man stood next to him, he says, you, he told this dude, they were like partners in crime. And he was like, don't you get it? We deserve this. He's done nothing. And then he just says, Lord, will you remember me? And Jesus says to him, truly, I tell you the truth. He goes, today, we're going to hang out at my place. We're going to be within the kingdom of God. Why don't you turn on, Brad, turn on that fan. Go plug it in and turn it on. 
Sorry, it is hot in here today. It is hot. It's getting hot. It's getting hot. Yeah. Um, there might be another fan. If somebody, one of the dudes, go grab it and turn it on. Please. There's no way around the cross, but you guys can do it. It's hot in here, but like a bunch of people just lost their homes and they can't gather in church today. Yeah, that'll preach, right? All right. It is the place where the veil was torn. Here's the point. Before we can fully appreciate Jesus as our king and Jesus as our friend, we must come to the realization that Jesus is our savior. First, we see Jesus on the cross. Second thing is we want to give Jesus our grave. Let's pick it up in verse 42. Verse 42 says, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, this dude, Joseph of Arimathea, I love this guy, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he is already dead, and summoning the centurion, the pro, he asked him whether or not he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking Jesus down, could you imagine that? Taking Jesus off of the cross. And when he had taken him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Joseph of Arimathea. This was a well-respected member of the very council that decided unanimously that Jesus should be crucified. Just hours earlier. Uh, he was part of the Sanhedrin council. Nicodemus would have been in there as well. Um, Nicodemus is the one in John 3 that comes where he, and Jesus says, you must be, I tell you the truth, you must be born again, born in a spiritual birth. And Nicodemus was the religious leader that he talked to. That's where that account comes from. So Joseph would have been in there. It says that he was looking forward to the kingdom of God. He wanted to know God, to live for God. And it says he took courage. That means that when he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, he had to publicly, because he saw Jesus on the cross, and it affected him. And he was like, truly, he was the son of God. He, did it, he went to Pilate, to his friends, to his family, to his council members, everything he had worked with, says he took courage because it might be, rege- it might be abandonment by all. And he asked that if he could, he took Jesus down washed his wounds as best he could, wrapped him in, tried to honor the body of the one given on this cross. And, and where would he put him? What are they going to do with him? He had had a grave that, that because of his status and, and, and uh, wealth, could have his own grave dug. You kind of took care of your own funeral back then. And if you were wealthy, you would have a tomb hewn out of rock and it would become like a family tomb that could be used over generations. And so Joseph had, maybe he was the, 
the first in his family that had money, who knows? No one had been in this tomb yet. And it was dug and ready for him. And he laid Jesus in his tomb and they sealed the door. The place no one had ever laid. And I was just thinking, and this might be a hard truth for some, but it's still the truth. Somebody is going to lay in your grave. Somebody. If you allow Jesus to be on your cross like the criminal, the place maybe that sin and separation causes, but Jesus goes on, be, on your behalf, he would be more than willing to go to your cross for you. And you know what? It says he would be more than willing to go to your grave too. Jesus was buried, died on the cross, was buried. And I just said, he shows his love by dying on your cross, shows its completion by being buried in your grave. This is Jesus on the cross, Jesus in the grave. Very true. Very historically accurate. It is how it is. But it's only part of the gospel. See, here's what some of us have experienced and what is all too common. Religion stops here. It leaves the story here. And then it tells us to live our lives in response to Jesus dying on a cross and being buried in the grave. Because you're bad, Jesus did this. Now do good for him. And we live in a place with only part of the story. I put this. Religion leaves a story here and lives a life in response to the cross and the grave. But relationship takes two more steps. And we don't live in a place of religion. We live in a place of relationship. How do we know? Because Jesus didn't just go to a cross and go in a grave. The third thing about the gospel picture is this. We want to find Jesus risen. Verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, so three days later, on the morning of the third day, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James... And Salome brought spices. Notice the same people that watched him on the cross, in the grave. They came to um, the grave on uh, early on the morning of the third day. And they brought spices that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb. And looking up that they saw that the stone had already been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to him, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth who was crucified. True, he was crucified. But then it says, he is risen, he is not here. See where the place where they laid him? It says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Oh, whole message right there. We're not going to do it. That, his, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out 
fled from the tomb with, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. We read this as so like just part of the story. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. He was rose from the dead, and on the third day they went, and they had much amazement and astonishment. Those words mean like they were shaking. They were trembling. They could barely get a word out. They were scared. If you saw someone who was literally killed before your eyes, taken down off of a cross, the nails pulled from their body, lifeless body, buried in a tomb, total um, season of mourning and devastation, and you come just to put flowers on his grave, and the stone is gone, and you're like, what the? And you, you walk in, and an angel speaks to you and says, you saw that, you're right, he did that, correct, but he is not here. Go tell everybody, and Peter, special message there. Peter just denied him three times, abandoned him. Jesus has some special words from Peter, not to be like, you're an idiot, Peter. But he tells Peter, he goes, how many times did you abandon me? Three. He tells him he loves him three times. Then he tells him, go be a pastor. Um, Heavy. But these women, their, their world was rocked. So much so that even the disciples didn't believe them. It was too far-fetched. Rose from the dead? That's where Jesus wants us to look for him. Did did you catch what the angel said? Don't be alarmed. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's no longer crucified. He is risen. He is not here. You know, you can't have a relationship with a dead person. You can have memories of a dead person. This person who once was, here's some things we did together. They mean so much. We know what that's like when we think about someone that we love, that we uh, have lost. We look forward to being with them again. But we have memories. But you can't have a a relationship with a dead person. And the closest relationships we have are with people who know us the most. Jesus knows us the most. And some of us need to be reminded that Jesus is not on the cross still. He conquered the cross. Jesus is not in the grave. He passed through the grave. That's why this verse in John, what Jesus said, means so much. When he says to his disciples, before he went to the cross, he says this to them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He says, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. So he says this, and then Thomas is like, "Um, no, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, Thomas. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
If you had really known me, you would know who my father is. For from now on, you do know him and have seen him. You do know God. You've seen God. And Thomas is like, what? Or Philip said, Lord, just show us the father and we'll be satisfied. Why do we call it the face of God? Because then Jesus says right here. He says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Then he says this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one, he says. That's why when Jesus says, I will never leave you, that where I am, you will also be. Cross, burial, resurrection, Jesus walked through the darkest moment of human history where all would abandon him so you could trust him to lead you through your darkest valleys. I want to remind somebody when you're talking to God, we call it prayer. When you're talking to God, you're not talking to someone who once was. Someone who exists in... um, some make-believe way. You're talking to a living, breathing, very active, resurrected Savior. The Bible says you are not talking to someone who once was, but you're actually talking to the only one who was and is and is to come. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples. I was, he said, I am, and I will come back and get you. Because Jesus conquered the grave and rose from the grave, part of the gospel is knowing that life doesn't end at the grave. As we look past the grave, I got to go visit a dear sister, one of our people from here at the bridge this week. Uh, She's in hospice care, and um, I read her these verses. And I told her, say hi to the Lord. We're gonna, I'm going to go see her again this week and pray with her. She wants some brothers and sisters to come and just be with her and pray. She just had the clearest eyes. I felt like she was like being a mom to me. You know what I mean? And, um, but just li- listening, to, this is the reality. There are things that are to come that we don't necessarily know exactly how to navigate, but we don't have to know because we look to Jesus who navigated it on our behalf. Like, we're going to take a last breath here one day. And life doesn't end. It continues. And the pathway to the Father is through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The last thing, picture of the gospel, is walk with him on your road. We want to see Jesus on our cross, bury him in our grave, find him risen. We talk to an, uh, a risen king and walk with him on your road. One of my favorite stories is uh, pick it up in 16 verse 9. When they rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Hold that thought. She went and told those who had been with them, as they mourned and wept. But when they heard he was alive and seen by her, they couldn't believe it. 
After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe him. You know, we spend a year going through the gospel of Mark, but all of this stuff happened in one morning. Sometimes we take such a little piece and we miss the big humongous picture of who Jesus is, of the full gospel picture. He was dead. He was buried. He rose again. And who did he see? Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast cast seven demons. Mary. Seven in the Bible means complete. It's the perfect number. Full completion. So you could say the first person he saw was Mary, whose life was completely messed up. She didn't just have it, not have it all together. She was overcome by complete darkness. Seven demons. She was beyond hope as far as the world was concerned. A person, a life of total chaos and disappointment and darkness. Beyond help. Beyond hope. And he came to two men on the road. And it says of these men, he opened the scriptures and he explained all things concerning himself. Do you know that that's what the word of God is? The Bible? It's not just a collection of books, although it is that. 66 books, 40 different authors, written over 1,700 years with one continuous message and around one central thing. And guess what? It's not written around you or me or America or any one person, any one nation. It was written to mankind, humanity, and it's not about us. It's written around Jesus. He is the central figure in all of history. And the central moment of the central figure in all of history is what is the cross, the grave, the resurrection. You know that from this point on, the book of Acts and all through the New Testament, you know why they got in trouble? Not for preaching the cross for preaching resurrection, not for preaching morality. You should live like this. You should do this. They just said, Jesus is alive. Here was this man. He said some stuff. He did some stuff. He said this about himself. He went to the cross. We know now this is what it means. It means that we, uh, on our own, um, fall short of the glory of God, but because Jesus His great love for people and God's love for people sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not be abandoned but be with Jesus where he goes to prepare a place and where he is there would be with him forever. Jesus' death is what brings reconciliation. But it's Jesus' life that brings transformation. You got to walk with Jesus. You know, you can't, we'll save it for another day. But you can't grow by accident. You need to walk with Jesus. Here's the, what's rad, though. 
We don't have to go and find him. It says when we look for him risen, Lord, help me. It says then he comes and meets us right where we're at. That's the gospel. He met Mary right outside the grave. He met these two men walking down this road. What are you guys talking about? What do you mean what are we talking about? Haven't you heard what happened? No, fill me in. There was this man. We thought he was the Messiah, the one that was to come, but then they took him and they crucified him, and now we just don't get it. And it says, and Jesus opened the scriptures and explained all things concerning himself. That means the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's about the gospel. As you come to Jesus, he'll meet you where you're at, I promise you. And I also promise you that he'll take you where you need to go. So the moral of the story, look at Jesus. It's real simple. When I first gave my life to the Lord, or when this all started really messing with me, 17, I don't know how I would have responded if someone would have shared the gospel with me in different ways that that I've seen. These people, like, invited me into their home and started caring about me and they invited me to church and I started going just because well for for a few reasons one of them was I guess a genuine curiosity of what these crazy people thought was so much better than what I had going on but something happened I was shown Jesus who Jesus is and it changed me because something happens when you look at God in the face when we look at Jesus in the eyes, he will show us what we need to see. That's what changed my life. That's what's still changing it. That's actually why I'm a pastor. Because I don't have to like be super eloquent and all of these things. I just ask Jesus every week, help people to look at you directly in the eyes, Jesus. And then will you show them what they need to see? And the hard part is that some of us need to see our sin. We need to see that there are things in our life that separate us. Some of us need, so, we, so he shows us his forgiveness, his son. Some of us need to see the place where Jesus was laid to where we see that he is not there. We need to see Jesus on our cross. We need to accept that he died on our behalf. This is what changed my life. Some of us need to be reminded of the value Jesus placed on you that he would actually do that for you. Some of us need to be remembered that the debt is no longer something that you owe. It's actually been paid. Some of us need to just receive it like Joseph and let it be buried. Some of us need to be reminded of the place that awaits us. Some of us need to be reminded that Jesus' path for you is moving forward. He actually has something for you. That's the gospel. That's the whole picture. Jesus was, he is, and he still has stuff to do. And the way we respond to that is how we respond to the gospel. So we're going to end right now. We're going to end this week by taking communion. So as the band comes up, you guys can cruise up. I'm going to close with some prayer. We're going to pass communion out, and then I'm going to come up here, and we're going to take it together. Because this is what we think about when we take communion. So it's the perfect way to end the book of Mark. We remember all that Jesus has done. And then we remind ourselves of all that he wants to do. 
So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Mark. As I was looking back this week and just seeing the people, the thing I'm reminded of the most is that the way you um, lavished humanity on people, when they felt like they weren't worth anything into the world, they weren't. You still um, treated people with dignity and honor. And you didn't wipe away the fact that they need you. You just showed them the real you. And I love that. Lord, I just want to pray these verses over us before we sing the song. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know the way to where you are going. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Lord, we sing this song in response to you, to your goodness. We love you in Jesus' name.